Well, let's go ahead and take our Bibles and turn back to the passage we began looking at last Sunday and had to abruptly stop because we ran out of time, but um, referring to James chapter 1, verses 19 through 25, James chapter 1, verse 19, let me reread this passage for us to get it in our minds and our hearts again. James writes, this you know, my beloved brethren, but everyone must be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger, for the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. Therefore, putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness, in humility, excuse me, receive the word implanted, which is able to save your souls. But prove yourselves doers of the word and not merely hearers who delude delude themselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks at his natural face in a mirror. For once he has looked at himself and gone away, he has immediately forgotten what kind of person he was. But one who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty, and abides by it, not having become a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer, this man will be blessed in what he does. Father, our greatest desire is that we would be blessed by you in all that we do. And we know that your word is the key to experiencing your blessing, to read it and to meditate on it and to put it into practice in our lives. And so as we consider this text that is really aimed at that purpose, to help us to learn how to apply uh, a message a sermon, a reading to our lives, Lord, would your spirit be actively working in and through us, Lord, to to help us, first of all, understand this passage, but then also to see how it applies to our lives in ways and means that we can change for your glory, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, the Old Testament scribe Ezra is one of my heroes, His life was fully devoted to the preservation of Scripture, the interpretation of Scripture, and the application of Scripture. As a scribe, he was responsible to copy it, to memorize it, to model it, to explain it, and to exhort the people to obey it. And God's hand of blessing was uniquely on Ezra's life and ministry, and we are told exactly why in the book that bears his name. And you can turn back there with me quickly if you'd like. Uh, Ezra chapter 7, Ezra chapter 7, verses 9 and 10. Ezra chapter 9 says, for on the first, uh, chapter 7 verse 9 says, for on the first of the first month, Ezra began to go up from Babylon, and on the first of the fifth month, he came to Jerusalem because the good hand of his God was upon him. And then it says, for Ezra, which is an indication that he's going to tell us why the good hand of God was upon him, because Ezra had set his heart to study the law of the Lord and to practice it and to teach his statutes and ordinances in Israel. And so the specific reason God chose to bless Ezra and use him to impact his generation was because of his threefold commitment to learn the word, to live the word, and to let out the word to others. 
Ezra had resolved in his heart to be a man of the word, who didn't just study it to teach it, but, but to live it out in his own life. To him, Bible study was not merely an a- academic exercise to, to increase his biblical knowledge uh, or to find good sermon material to, to preach to others. What he learned, he lived. One of my other preaching heroes who's still alive is Alistair Begg. I'm sure you're all familiar with him, and he has a radio ministry called Truth for Life. Does anyone remember the little tagline? Where the learning is for living. I love that. Where the learning is for living. And if we want to experience the good hand of God upon our life, we need to share Ezra's commitment to not only learn the word, but to live out the word. Jay Adams uh, wrote a very interesting book years ago called uh, A Consumer's Guide to Preaching, How to Get the Most Out of a Sermon. And I read it, and uh, it it, uh, really impacted my life and made me want to not only apply messages to my own heart, but to help others apply messages to their heart. Uh, he updated that book in recent years called, uh, before he passed away, and uh, the book's called Be Careful How You Listen. And this is what he said. And, and again, he was thinking, had in mind Ezra. He says, God expects such commitment of you. Until you go to hear the preaching of the word in that spirit, the spirit of Ezra, it will profit you very little. With Ezra-like determination, you must never rest until you discover ways and means to understand and implement what you hear, end quote. Richard Baxter uh, served the body of Christ super well by giving us what's called a Christian directory, which is an encyclopedia-like tome uh, that has all sorts of practical wisdom, biblical wisdom about all sorts of things. He has a section titled Directions for Profitable Hearing the Word Preached. And this is what he said, quote, make it your work with diligence to apply the word as you're hearing it and to work your own hearts to those suitable resolutions and affections which it bespeaketh. Cast not all upon the minister as that those that will go no further than they are carried as by force. In other words, don't make the preacher do all the work for you. You have work to do as well as the preacher and should all the while be as busy as he. I'm busy up here. Are you busy out there? We should be busy together. He says, therefore, be all the while at work and abhor an idle heart in hearing as well as an idle minister. Well, I don't want to be an idle minister, that's for sure. I want to be a diligent minister, and a diligent minister will exhort his people to apply the sermon and even suggest some general ways to maybe get started. But ultimately, it's up to you to be a diligent hearer who applies what you hear to the specific, specific areas in your life that need to change. And I think that's James' point that he was making here in this passage, and James chapter 1, verses 19 through 25, we see uh, two ways that we're to react to God's word so that it plants itself deep in our hearts where it can grow and and flourish and produce the kind of changes in our lives that God uh, desires it to. So what is our 
what are these two ways? Well, we looked last week at the first one, and that is be receptive. Be receptive. We need to accept it. Accept God's word. And in the, in, in the first three verses, verses 19, 20, and 21, you may remember that we saw how receptivity to God's word is marked by five things. Teachability, purity, humility, hospitality, and gravity. So being receptive to God's word uh, requires that, that we have a willingness to receive God's word with a teachable heart, a pure heart, a humble heart, uh, a hospitable heart, and a sober heart. And so a proper reaction to God's word begins by being receptive, but it's not enough just to accept God's word, we must also apply it. We need to be responsive to God's word. And that's what we see here in verses 22 through 25. And uh, James starts off in verse 22 with an exhortation, and then he follows it up with an illustration in verses 23 through 25. So let's look first of all at the exhortation. He says, verse 22, but prove yourselves doers of the word and not merely hearers who delude themselves. This is a present tense command, which means this is something that we need to be continuously doing. This is not a one and done kind of thing. It's something that we have to do on a regular basis. So we should be regularly and continually showing ourselves to be or demonstrating that we are someone who consistently obeys God's word, that we are in the habit of putting into practice what the Bible says. I find it interesting that as you study the scriptures, there is so much that the Bible says about listening and hearing, but there's this inseparable relationship between listening and obeying. And throughout Scripture, listening is equated with obeying. And so listening and obeying are like two sides of the same coin. They're, they're, they're synonymous terms. In fact, there's a, a direct lexical link between the words hear and obey, both in the Old Testament and the New Testament. The, the Old Testament word for hear is shema, which is the same Greek word, or excuse me, the same Hebrew word uh, used for obey. In other words, there's no separate word for obey in the, in the Old Testament. They use one word, and it can mean either hear or obey. In the New Testament, the Greek word for hear is akuo, and the word for obey is a derivative of that. It's hupokuo, which means to, to, to hear under. And so the implication, I think, is simply that in God's mind, hearing and obeying are one and the same. So he says, prove yourselves doers of the word and not merely hearers. The Greeks would use that word hearers to describe someone who attended a lecture but was not a disciple of the lecturer. Perhaps the example in our day would be auditing a class. How many of you guys audited some classes when you were in college, right? Yeah, just those were my favorite classes because you could just, you know, chill and uh, no stress, right? Um, you, you could go to the class, uh, take down the notes. Everyone else around you is freaking out because they got to take, they got to do all this homework and they got to take these quizzes and exams. And you're just like, hey man, this is great. Um, I think some people attend church on Sunday like they're auditing a class. In fact, I 
went to a church not too long ago. Uh, it was on a Sunday morning, and we, I guess, were off or something, and so I decided to go to another church, because I can learn a lot, right, from going to other churches. And so I just remember just not liking the atmosphere um, it, it just seemed too laid back, too casual. Like, like it just kind of the, 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 the way people were carrying themselves, it was almost like they were just kind of auditing the class. And I just saw a whole lot of guys just kind of kicking it back like this with their arm around their wife. They didn't have a Bible open. They, nobody was taking notes. Uh, and I was just like, what is going on here? It's almost like they just kind of came for their Sunday morning fix and, you know, it wasn't like they were, there were some people like kind of sitting on the edge of their seat, you know, ready to hear something good and to write it down and try to remember it and go, go home and live it out. And, and, and again, just because you take notes, that doesn't mean you're, you know, you're, 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 you're getting something out of it. But um, um, I, I think there's a lot of people maybe even take notes, Right. Uh, they, they, they tell the preacher what a great sermon that was and, uh, you know, on the way out the door, but, but they never do anything about that sermon after they leave church. And, and you guys are very kind, and I appreciate when you come up and, you know, on your way out and say, hey, pastor, that was a great sermon. And, and I always just say thank you, and I appreciate that. And, uh, but I, just so you know, I'm biting my tongue because what I want to say is, so what are you going to do about it? That's what I really want to say. So what are you going to do about it? I, mean, I, didn't, I, didn't, I didn't preach that so you, I get an attaboy, right? But, but so that we would all grow and change. One of the greatest compliments that, that I ever received was when someone said to me, you know, Ken, I can tell that you really expect us to do what the Bible says. And I'm like, yeah. And that expectation is born out of a conviction that God didn't give us the Bible to merely analyze it and discuss its meaning. Knowing the meaning of a passage is important, and, and, and that's where it all starts, but that's only half the Bible study process. The other half is applying it to our lives, that meaning, that, applying that meaning to our lives. And I think the job of, of, of a preacher is to explain what a passage means, and we do a lot of that around here, but then also I need to exhort you as a listener to apply it to your life. I heard a story one time of a preacher who assumed the, the pulpit duties at a new church and he proceeded to preach the same sermon several weeks in a row and some of the folks that had voted for him started getting nervous and thought, oh man, maybe we made a mistake here. And so uh, maybe all he had is one sermon. And uh, so they eventually came to him and, 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 and asked him, you know, well, why do you keep preaching the same exact sermon every Sunday? And he simply said, listen, when you start living this one, then I'll go on to the next one. I think if we're honest, most of us would admit that we know far more about the Bible than we're presently putting into practice? I mean, if we never heard another sermon after this one, we would have enough biblical truth to work on applying for the rest of our lives. Isn't that true? And I think too many of us feel spiritually satisfied by the fact that we go to church on Sunday or we have our devotions every day, or we go to Bible study every week, but if we are not applying what we're reading or hearing, then we're only kidding ourselves or deluding ourselves. That's what James says. 
Prove yourselves doers of the word and not merely hearers who delude themselves. Literally deceive themselves. And if you know the big picture of, of James, James was writing to so-called believers um, who were not necessarily living up to what the Bible says a believer should live like. And, and so he gave all these tests about how they respond to trials and how they respond to the word. And, and he says, listen, don't, don't deceive yourself. If you think, oh, I'm a Christian because I listen to all these sermons and, and uh, you know, not necessarily if you're not doing anything about it. And what's more, if what we're hearing isn't changing the way we're living, we're not only fooling ourselves, but we're forgetting the whole point of looking into God's word in the first place. And James gives an illustration to follow up the exhortation. James compared God's word to a mirror. Notice verse 23, for if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks at his natural face in a mirror. For once he has looked at himself and gone away, he's immediately forgotten what kind of person he was. Now just by the looks of you this morning, I guarantee that every one of you spends some time in front of a mirror this morning because you guys look really good. And, 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 and what's the purpose of a mirror, right? Right? A mirror exists to show us what we look like so we can fix what needs to be fixed or change what needs to be changed. Maybe something needs to be ironed, combed, shaved, covered up, plucked, popped, you name it. That's what mirrors are for, right? And notice he says, if you're a hearer of the word and not a doer, you're like a guy who looks at his face in the mirror. He sees all these things that need to be fixed or changed, but then he goes away and immediately forgets what kind of person he was. I mean, this is a guy, you, this would be like you going, get, getting up this morning, looking in the mirror and going, seeing all these things that are out of place that need to be worked on, and you're just like, and you go, your merry way, and you show up at church, and we're like, somebody needs to give that person a mirror. Um, but what's even worse is you're clueless. It's not like you're coming and say, I hope nobody notices that I didn't do this or it didn't change. It's like, you don't even know. You forgot. You need to be reminded. Hey, that's out of place. Hey, that's wrinkled. Hey, that's Whatever, doesn't look good. You need to change that, fix that. And so this is what we do whenever we walk away from hearing a sermon but never do anything about what we heard. Not only is it a foolish attitude, but it's a dangerous attitude. Because when a person is constantly being exposed to God's word, but they don't respond properly to the truth that they're hearing, they put themselves at risk of losing what truth they already have. That's what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 13 uh, in the context of 
the parable of the soils, and his disciples came to him and asked him why he taught in parables. And this is what he said, Matthew 13, verse 11, Jesus answered them, to you it has been granted to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been granted. For whoever has to him more shall be given, and he will have an abundance, but whoever does not have, even what he has shall be taken away from him. Therefore I speak to them in parables, because while seeing they do not see, and while hearing they do not hear. You do not want that to be a description of you, that while hearing, they do not hear. Let me just be frank. If you don't plan on applying what you read, then don't waste your time reading your Bible. If you don't plan on, uh, on acting on what you hear when you come to church, then don't waste your time coming to church. Because not only are you wasting your time, but more importantly, you're heaping judgment upon yourself because you're hearing truth that you're going to have to give an account for someday. Not to mention the fact that you're training yourself to disobey God. I think that's the scariest thing about Listening to God's word without applying it to your heart is, is eventually your heart becomes hardened to it. You've heard it said that the same sun that melts butter hardens clay. Same sun hitting two different substances and having two different, totally different effects. There's no neutrality when it comes to the hearing of God's word. There's no, there's no free zone, if you will. Every time we're exposed to God's word, it is either, we are either being softened by it or we're being hardened by it. And that's why we must be an effectual doer who is diligent to find ways and means to implement what we hear. And so we see in verse 25, how James contrasts the forgetful hearer with the effectual doer. Verse 25, but one who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty, and abides by it, not having become a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer, this man will be blessed in what he does. So don't think that the sermon is over when the preacher closes in prayer. That's when the real work begins. And we should begin by asking ourselves, how should my life change as a result of what I just heard? That's always a great question to ask. How should my life change as a result of what I just heard? And then we need to look intently back into God's word and examine those areas in our lives that it has shown us that we need to change. Typically when you, when you kind of get a glance at yourself in the mirror, you know, it, it starts with just kind of a, maybe you're just walking by and looking, but then all of a sudden you're doing this. You're getting up closer, right? So you can really see what, what, it, what you look like and what needs to change. That's the idea here. Notice he ramps up this looking. He, he talked about looking in verse 23, the man who looks at his natural face in the mirror, for once he has looked at himself, but then in verse 25 he says, but one who looks intently, at the perfect law, the law of liberty. This is a more intense looking, a more intense scrutiny. Um, this is the same word that was used 
uh, in the Gospels when the disciples ran to the tomb on Easter morning and it says they stooped down and they looked into the tomb. Uh, this is the same word that was used in 1 Peter 1. We just learned this about how the angels are, are, are standing on their tippy toes, as it were, looking over the edge of heaven, right, to, to watch God's plan of redemption in our lives. I mean, they're, 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 they're extremely curious and interested. They're looking intently. That's the way we should look into the mirror of God's word. And, and just like a mirror, sometimes... Um, you know, God's word is brutally honest, right? A mirror never lies. And God's word never lies. And sometimes it shows us things about ourselves that we don't like. And yet we must be grateful for the perfect law, the law of liberty. I love that description of God's word because it's a reminder that the Bible sets us free from slavery to sin. And enables us to consistently obey God more and to progressively become more and more like his son, Jesus Christ. And when we abide by the word, he says, and abides by it or, or, or live, when we live in obedience to God's word, he promises to pour out his blessing on us. Notice it says, this man will be blessed in what he does. God encouraged Joshua In Joshua chapter one, verse eight, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it, for then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have success. In other words, I will bless your life because you're not just a a reader of the word, a meditator on the word, but you're a doer of the word. The Psalms begins with this promise. Psalm one, verse one, how blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. He will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither, and in whatever he does, he prospers. Again, God's blessing will be upon your life. When you delight in and meditate on his word. Jesus himself said this, Luke eleven twenty-eight. 28, blessed are those who hear the word of God and observe it. Notice he didn't just say blessed are those who hear the word of God, period. No, he says blessed are those who hear the word of God and observe it. Do it, obey it. John 13, 17, if you know these things, Jesus said, you are blessed, not period, but you are blessed if you do them. So God promises to bless those who don't just hear his word, but do his word. There there is nothing that I want more than to experience the blessing of God upon my life. And as a pastor, as a preacher, there is nothing I want more than for you to experience God's blessing on your life. And that's why I try to do all that I can to help you put into practice the truth that we learn together on Sunday mornings. And while I can't apply a sermon for you, I can provide you some practical steps to applying a sermon to your life. And so I want to take the, the, the rest of our time this morning talking about how to practically apply a sermon. How's that? A sermon on how to apply a sermon. 
But let me just give you four application aids. Aids for application. Kind of helps to make sure you're applying uh, what you're hearing. Number one. Again, these aren't in the notes, so you might want to write these down. Number one, rely on the Holy Spirit to help you apply what you've heard. Rely on the Holy Spirit to help you apply what you've heard. And this is very strategic that this is the first point. This is the first aid. Because the last thing we want to create here at Lakeside is a bunch of white-knuckle believers clenched teeth, white knuckles, I can do this, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do better, I'm going to pray more, read more, right, that, that, you, that we, we, we um, send you out of here every Sunday, you know, with another to-do list, and you're trying to do it in your own strength, and, and, and it's just wearing you out, you're just whipped, because you're always trying to do the Christian life um, by yourself, so we need to remember, it is impossible to understand God's word apart from the, the illuminating work of the Spirit. And it's also impossible to apply the word without the sanctifying work of the Spirit. You hear me pray often before I preach, read the text, pray, exposit it, right? Um, what, what do I pray? Spirit of God, the same spirit that inspired James to write this text is the same spirit that is alive and well, dwelling within us, abiding with us. Lord, would you, the spirit, you know, Holy Spirit, you know what this passage means. You are the one who inspired James to write it. Would you illuminate our minds, help us understand what it means? I mean, we have access to the author of this thing, right? Who abides with us. But then spirit also... You, we need your help, not just to understand it, but to also to, to see how it applies to our lives. Show me areas in my life that need to change and then help me to put uh, these things into practice. So we need to rely completely on the Holy Spirit as the active agent in both understanding and applying the scriptures to our lives. In the same way that I as a preacher am 100% dependent on the Holy Spirit in the exposition of the scriptures, you as a listener are 100% dependent on the Holy Spirit in the application of scripture. J.I. Packer, in his, uh, he wrote a chapter in a book called The Preacher in Preaching. He said this about the Spirit. He said, God's Spirit is sovereign. Through the Spirit's agency in both preacher and hearers, the Word of God becomes invincible. If fruitfulness depended finally on human wisdom and resourcefulness, no preacher would dare to speak a word, for no preacher ever feels that in his communication he has been wise and resourceful enough. And if God's power was exerted only in helping the preacher to speak and not in causing the listeners to hear, preaching, however wise and resourceful, would always be a barren and unfruitful activity, for fallen human beings have no natural power of response to the divine word. But in in fact, fruitfulness depends on the almighty work of God the Holy Spirit in the heart. Amen? So we must never forget we cannot change by ourselves. We can't change ourselves. Only God, through his spirit, right, can change us. We need God's help. Philippians 2, chapter 
Uh, Philippians 2, verse uh, 12, work out your salvation in fear and trembling. That's our responsibility to be diligent, right? To pursue holiness. For it is God who has a work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So don't forget, God is the one who's ultimately doing the work. I love the prayer um, uh, that the writer of Hebrews prayed uh, at the end of his book, Hebrews 13, 21. He, he prayed that God would work in us that which is pleasing in his sight. It's God who is working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. And so, by the way, how do we access the Holy Spirit? Through prayer, right? We can talk to the Spirit, so we need to ask the Holy Spirit to cause the Word to be fruitful uh, in our lives uh, by showing us uh, how we need to change and what we need to do to change. And I think we also need to ask the Holy Spirit to give us the power uh, and also grant us the grace to translate what we know into action so we grow to become more pleasing to God. So, I think the first practical aid for application is rely on the Holy Spirit to help you apply what you've heard. Don't try to do it in your own strength. Rely on the Holy Spirit. Secondly, reread the text and review your notes and reflect on what you heard. Again, this is very practical. Just at some point after the message, take some time to reread the text, review your notes, and reflect on what you heard. I heard about a guy who his, his, his weekly routine was every Monday morning, he would go to the local coffee shop and, and he took, would take his Bible and he would take his sermon notes from the previous day and, and he would just spend time uh, thinking through, uh, praying about how God wanted to apply that Sunday sermon. Now, that's really practical. Now, that might be a little habit that you, you, you want to get into is is, uh, you know, as you try to have, be faithful and have a quiet time every day, spend time in God's word uh, uh, daily. Um, maybe Monday is just like sermon application day, right? Instead of just going on to the next thing and, and filling your mind with some more truth, you know, stop the merry-go-round, get off for a second and say, okay, what am I gonna do with what I just heard yesterday? How, how's that gonna impact my life? Maybe that's a good use of your uh, Monday morning quiet time. Um, Obviously, the implication here is that you have some notes to review, um, and I think taking notes in a sermon is a is a is is a helpful uh, exercise. It's one of the simplest ways to increase the impact of a sermon on your life. It it, it helps keep you focused during the sermon. It makes this more of an interactive experience. Um, it's a known fact. You know this to be true that writing something down helps you remember it longer. You're engaging another sense than, than just your ears and your eyes. Uh, you're also using your hands there. Um, and I think you need to take notes for the purpose of having something tangible to take home with you and to reflect on uh, when the sermon is over. And, and again, don't try to take, don't try to write down everything the preacher says, okay? My daughter does that, and I don't know how she does it, but she's good at it. Uh, my mom takes shorthand. She used to be a secretary, right? So she knows that old, do they even teach shorthand these days, right? She knows how to do that short. She looks, I'm like, mom, that's like, are you writing in tongues? What is that? Um, it's, it's like hieroglyphics, but she shorthands the message. And so some people are able to really take down a lot of information. Um, and, and I don't know how they do it, honestly. Um, I would encourage you maybe not to do that. That might not be uh, 
possible uh, or even helpful. Um, j- just try to get the main point. Try to catch the outline. Write down a few things, maybe that uh, a quote that you hear or uh, something that encourages you or, or convicts you that you want to remember. You know, we try to encourage note-taking with this thing right here, our little sermon sheet that we always say, hey, you grab, your, grab your sermon sheet when you walk in the back door. Um, th- there's a method to our madness here, okay? This, this is very simple, okay? It has the, the title, the text, the theme, the outline, one side, because um, there's a good chance I'm gonna lose you somewhere in the sermon, and hopefully this is like your little roadmap, like, oh, that's where he is, uh, even though he went off in the weeds here for a few minutes now, okay, he's, he's back under this point. That's helpful for you to follow, to stay engaged. But then the backside is these, these questions, application questions, um, just to kind of get you to meditate on the truths taught in the sermon and translate them into action. So, so this is really designed to be a template to move you from being a hearer of the word to a doer of the word. And I think the main reason why, why so many of us who are regularly exposed to the scriptures and, and are oftentimes convicted by the scriptures, but whose lives are never changed by the scriptures, is we don't take the time to think through specific ways that our lives need to change as, as a result of what we just read or what we just heard. Donald Whitney wrote a great book, Spiritual Disciplines for the Christian Life, he said this, quote, deep thinking on the truths and spiritual realities of scripture is the key to putting them into practice. It is by means of meditation that the facts of biblical information are fleshed out into practical application. Let me read that again. That's a great sentence. It is by means of meditation that the facts of biblical information are fleshed out into practical application. The way to determine how any scripture applies to the concrete situations of life is to meditate on that scripture. The last time uh, Donna Whitney was here with us, uh, we, were, we were having lunch together with, uh, I think, the pastors and elders and our wives, and he said that his next book uh, in the pipeline is a, is a book entirely on meditation, uh, meditating on scripture. He, that's how strongly he feels that this is such the, this is the critical link between information, application. He's writing a whole book on it. And, and so when we're talking about meditation here, we're not, we're not you know, talking about you know, sitting in a corner with your legs crossed and you got your hands like this and you're humming or whatever. No, we're talking about thinking long and hard about the text, mulling it over and over again in your mind like a cow chewing its cud. Okay, we're in Texas, folks. You should know how that works, right? The, the cows, like, they, 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 they consume something, they swallow it, goes down into one of their 60 stomachs. I don't know how many stomachs. They, have, they got several stomachs, apparently. Um, some, some of you ranchers should be up here telling this illustration, not me, right? But anyway, then, then, then they, what do they do? They regurgitate it back up, and they chew on it, and then it goes back down again, and it maybe comes up again, and they chew on it. That's why you see the cow out there kind of just chomping you know, chewing his cud, he's probably still working on breakfast. Like even if it's at night, right? He's just still working on that, that meal. And that's a good example of how we're just to chew on, uh, kind of bring up that message again and again. Richard Baxter, again, Christian director, he said this, quote, chew the cud <laughs> and call upon all when you come home and call up all when you come home in secret and by meditation, preach it over to yourselves. 
If it were coldly delivered by the preacher, do you consider of the great weight of the matter and preach it more earnestly over to your own hearts? In other words, if you go home and say, man, Ken wasn't on his game today, that was kind of a lame message. Well, if what I was saying was important, I just maybe didn't say it as as well as I could have said, well, then guess what? Preach it to yourself better than I did. Preach it more earnestly to yourself. Why? Because again, meditation serves as the bridge between interpretation and application, between the hearing and the doing, between listening to a sermon and living out a sermon. So you need to learn to meditate on that and chew the cud. Now, you say, well, how do, what, what, what are you talking about? I'm chewing something? I'm not chew-. Well, I think sometimes the application of a particular text of scripture is, is crystal clear. It's like plain as the nose on your face. Okay, I get it. That's what I need to do. Other times it takes some effort and some thought before you see how a passage applies to your life. So you need to ask yourself a series of questions as you meditate on a particular text that I think will help you determine how it practically applies to your life. For example, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 says all scripture is inspired by God and is useful for what? Four things, teaching, reproof, correction, and training in righteousness. So start by asking yourself these four questions after hearing a sermon. Number one, what did I learn? Teaching. Number two, where do I fall short? That's reproof. Number three, what do I need to do about it? That's correction, right? And then number four, how can I make this a consistent part of my life? That's training in righteousness. And again, typically these questions are, are enough for, for the application of, of a sermon to, to clearly surface in your mind, but there may be times when you have to ask even more specific questions, like, uh, is there a sin to confess? Is there a promise to claim? Is there an attitude to change? Is there a command to obey? Is there an example to follow? Is there a prayer to repeat? Is there an error to avoid? Is there a truth to believe? Is there a song to sing? I know I just went through those way too fast, and you're like, ah, can you say that again? Space pets. It's an acrostic, space pets, Okay. Sin, promise, attitude, command, example, prayer, error, truth, song. I didn't come up with it, but I'll share it with you. Uh, The point is, pummel a passage with all these questions, and, and I think at least one or more of these questions will likely pinpoint something that you can work on or you can apply in a practical way. So review, um, the text, review your notes, reread the text, review your notes, and reflect on what you heard. Number three, write out at least one specific application based on what you heard. Write out at least one specific application based on what you heard. So be, again, very deliberate, very intentional. Every time you encounter God's word, your goal should be to walk away with at least one specific response. That means after listening to this sermon, for example, you should be able to commit to do at least one thing with what you heard. And it must be personal, it must be practical, it must be possible. In other words, it must be doable, it must be measurable. And, and be sure to include specific steps about how you plan to change. Let's say, well, I just need to change this here. Well, get specific. 
And again, write out answers to maybe these questions. How does God want me to change? Okay, so just say, this is what God wants me to change, how he wants me to change. What must I do to change? So what does that look like practically? Number three, what is the first step I must take to change? And then the last question is good. Where and when will I begin? Instead of saying, well, yeah, I need to change, and then never get around to change it, right? Be specific. And then lastly, number four, discuss the sermon with others who can encourage you and hold you accountable to apply what you heard. Discuss the sermon with others who can encourage you and hold you accountable to apply what you heard. Now, the most natural time to talk about the Sunday sermon is at Sunday lunch with your family, with your friends, with fellow church members, whether you go home, back to your house, or you go out to a restaurant, right, and you talk about all sorts of different things, well, why not talk about the sermon? And not so you can have Rose Preacher, as they say, on Sunday afternoon, um, but talk about the message, talk about the truth. And I think we should all get in the habit of discussing what we learned from the sermon and how it encouraged us and how it challenged us, how it convicted us and how we need to change. And, and, and so you just kind of go around, hey, what did you get out of the sermon? What did you get out of the sermon? I love that with our family when we have an opportunity after church to go home and we just say, hey, so let's talk about it. We're munching down on lunch. Hey, what did you get out of the sermon? What would you get out of the sermon? And then uh, best case scenario, somebody would close in prayer, thanking God for his word and, and for what he taught us and, 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 and uh, you know, asking him to help us live out what we just talked about. Thomas Watson, another Puritan, said this, quote, speak of sermons as you sit together. Good discourse brings holy truths into our memories and fastens them upon our hearts. By holy conference on a Sabbath... One Christian helps to warm another when he's frozen and to strengthen another when he's weak. Let's be honest. Some of us are frozen at times, right? We're hardened up. Other times we're weak. We need one another. That's why the Bible says to uh, Hebrews 10, 24 and 25, that we should encourage one another and stimulate one another to love and good deeds, right? He says, one reason why preaching the word on a Sabbath does, not, does no more good is because there's so little good conversation, Few speak of the word they have heard as if sermons were such secrets that they must be not spoken of again. Or as if it were a shame to speak of that which will save us. I think one of the most helpful tools for discussing and applying the preached word is by being involved in a weekly grow group. Hello, right? That's why we do grow groups because they provide the encouragement and accountability necessary to follow through with the changes that we need to make in our lives as a result of what we've learned from God's word. And I've noticed that since we adopted this small group model in our church, it's fostered a climate of of greater accountability that's increased our commitment to not just be hearers of the word, but doers. They're like, hey, we're gonna have to talk about this. I'm going to have to give an account here of uh, what I learned and, and what I'm going to do about it. And so not only does it remind us that the goal of preaching is not information but transformation, it also increases the potential for that transformation to take place. And I think more than anything, it, it's had a profound effect on how the word of God is received and, and, and responded to in our church. It has made us better listeners. You know why application is the hardest part of the Bible study process? It's because nobody likes to change. 
We avoid it at all costs. Why? Because it's hard. Change is hard. But there's something harder than change. Not changing. Proverbs 13, 15 says, the way of the transgressor is hard. You don't want to be that transgressor. You don't want to be that person that just continues to be exposed to truth and continues to transgress and not obey and apply that truth. That's what's really hard. And so join with us as a church, right, as we seek to not just be hearers of the word, but doers of the word, who are always striving to experience real, lasting change through the word of God, by the power of the spirit of God. Let's pray. Father, we are so grateful for your word. We ask that you would grant us the grace we need to change in response to what we read and what we hear from your word. Not, not to become just some of what you want us to be, not even to be most of what you want us to be, but to be all that you want us to be. So that our lives reflect more and more of Christ so that the watching world would see us and be intrigued by why our lives are so different than theirs and that they will perhaps reach out and ask or will have opportunities to lean into their lives and speak the wonderful words of the gospel to them. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.